Hey, welcome to Recharting Your Life with Hope. I'm Hope Cook, creator and host. If you feel stuck, restless, overwhelmed, or dissatisfied with your current life, despite your life looking pretty good on paper, or at least on social media, I can totally relate. Together, we'll figure out how to take the next right step. I'll interview women who are a little farther along on the path and get tips and ideas from them. I definitely don't have it figured out, so I'll share the ups and downs of my own journey with you. Let's get started because life is too short to waste in autopilot. If you want to be the best possible version of you, you're in the right place. Hey y'all, today we have somebody from my town. We have Misty Scheuer. And I met her a while back and I heard a little piece of her story. I knew that she had been working as a um, probation officer. And then when I asked her what she was up to, she told me she was working um, virtually for Seattle Children's Hospital. So the more we talked, the more I said, all right, Misty, you have to be on my podcast. I want to hear your story. And thankfully, she agreed. So Misty, thanks for coming on board today. Absolutely. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. And Misty had more details to her story than I knew. So she emailed me some of these. So I want to hear about, um, you were telling me a little bit about growing up and what your life was like. Do you mind sharing that with us? Sure. So um, my family health history is kind of awful. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It worries me sometimes, but yeah, so I was uh, from a teenager dealing with my father having cancer Um, and he had leukemia and he was one of the first successful stem cell transplants. Luckily, brother was a good match. And so he had that done at Emory. And so he lived about five years when generally he wouldn't have lived more than six months to a year. Wow. But that was sort of my first interest in research because he was sort of a case study and his doctors had said he was a poster child for the procedure. It was the best they'd ever seen it go. And you were like in high school or middle school? So that was, it started when I was in eighth and ninth grade. Okay. God, that was hard, I bet. Yeah. And then he passed away when I was 19. I was a freshman at UGA. So that was rough. We had sort of a monetary vacuum and I was on the Hope Scholarship. Ultimately lost it. It was rough. (laughs) Yeah. For those of you who don't know, um, Hope Scholarship is like all, all, uh, teenagers or whatever you are in college can go to college for free if you maintain a certain GPA. And I'm guessing, Misty, that with all your dad's health issues and just the emotional turmoil, your GPA was not up high enough. No. And I was working two to three jobs to sort of keep rent and meal plans and things like that going. So yeah, it was rough. Um, So I sort of graduated from college after six years. <laughs> yeah. What did and, you think you wanted to do back before you, when you had the jobs and you were working and, you know, you're going through the freshman orientation at UGA, what did you think you wanted to do? I really wanted to get into politics. So really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My undergrad degree is actually in political science. Um, but yeah, I used to sit and watch political shows on Sunday morning with my dad. 
And it was just something I always had really good memories about. I used to love watching uh, James Carville and his wife battling things out. Oh my (laughs) gosh, that gives me so much anxiety, like any kind of arguing. and (laughs) I know. And and then I just sit there, it's like, how do they even live with one another? But it was so enthralling to watch, especially when they were running campaigns against one another. Yeah. But no, I was just always fascinated and always excited to see both sides and, Mm. you know, so... And I've always tried to um, stress that if you say that you're one party or the other, that's not really correct because nobody agrees with either one 100%. That's true. There's two sides to every coin. Everything, yes. And if you really start to look deeper, you realize that maybe you see some gray areas and some things that you thought were very black and white. Uh So it's just always been really interesting to me. So then you did you graduate with a ton of student loans? I did. <laughs> yeah. That stinks because then you, you know, unless you're like getting a high paying job, you're, you're kind of in a bad situation where you're paying off all these loans and you're trying to find a job. So what was your first job out of college? So my first job was probation officer. I actually graduated in 2008 at the height of the recession, mm-hmm. which was also pretty rough. So I had been working in retail selling furniture Mm-hmm. I was laid off. And so um, luckily that job, they found my resume on Monster. I had sent my resume out God, thank goodness. hundreds of times. <laughs> yeah. So you were glad to get that job because it probably was, had benefits. It did. And it was the first time I'd had health insurance for years. Oh, wow. um, so I took the job. Um, it's not anything that I ever thought that I would do, but it has given me life experience that is absolutely invaluable that you can't hardly get anywhere else. What were you, what do you, what did you learn from that? That it was more, I think, philosophical than anything that everybody, when they make a choice, they rationalize it. And they really, for the most part, think that they're doing what's best. Mm -hmm. Um, So whenever you approach someone who's done something really wrong, it's better to ask, what was your thought process? Why did you do it? I like that. I should do that with my kids. (laughs) What were you thinking? But not say it like, what were you yeah. thinking? <laughs> yeah, what what led to this? Yes. Um, and then you find that you learn so much more and you have so much more compassion for just the general world and the things that happen. Yeah, because we all make mistakes. And um, I listened to an interview with death row inmates, you know, and a lawyer who worked with them. And I think he's the guy who wrote Just Mercy. But, you know, it's he was saying like, I would even have some of these guys over to my house to eat with my family after getting to know them and, and, and hearing the story behind their choices. So sounds like you, you kind of learned the same thing. Yeah. And I actually even facilitated a class on the weekends with probationers called thinking outside the box. That oh, a, wow. It was a program that a friend of mine wrote. Um, but yeah, it was that same thing, like helping them sort through their process and how they got to where they were so that the next time they're faced with something difficult, they don't go with that knee-jerk reaction or whatever it was that got them where they were. Yes. So watching your thoughts and observing what's going on in your mind that makes you do certain actions. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. So then you did this and were you thinking, this is my life's career. I'm going to do this forever. (laughs) So I'll be honest, I got about five years in, I was a senior officer and I was very good at my job but I it was a I wasn't able to compartmentalize anymore I bet 
<clears throat> I was taking it home and it wasn't fair to my son and it wasn't fair to my husband. And that was when I knew that I had to switch. Yeah. Um, because while it can be very fulfilling for the most part, there are a lot of people that you're not going to be able to help in that span of year, a few years that you have with That's them. That's true. And you lose a lot of sleep at night over it. So yeah. And the police reports sometimes were just horrific things uh-huh. that you couldn't get out of your mind. So I knew that I had to switch, that it wasn't something I could do for my entire life and just had to appreciate it for the experience that it was. Yeah. That's also, I was thinking about the things you can't get out of your mind. And I tell, like my son will start telling me a story about animal cruelty or just something that he's heard. And I'm like, do, don't tell me that I have to like guard what's in my head. But as a probation officer, you couldn't, I mean, you had to read these reports, I guess. Yeah. There was no such luxury. Oh my gosh. So you'd kind of made the mental decision. Like I need to find something else. Yeah. That this, this wasn't something that I could carry into later life. Yeah. Um, so I sort of wanted to get started working at UGA and kind of break out of the probation officer thing. And, um, I actually lucked up with a research compliance job okay. um, on the IRB. And I'm actually still a volunteer on the institutional review board at UGA, which is the, it's supposed to be um, a non-biased board basically that reviews human subjects research to make sure that subjects are consented properly and nothing's being done to harm them. Well, that's that's not perfect a- for you. So, and I still volunteer as a prisoner representative because that specific skill is hard to come by. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. Okay. So you're working in the research compliance department, right? That's kind of how you phrased it. Yeah. So that was my start and honestly love that job. Still love doing the volunteer work. I love to see the new research that's being done to try to get more mental health care into jails. That's like a big issue with recidivism rates. So that's but part of what they do at the university? That there's a lot of research being done on that now. Ah, okay. Yeah, because jails are being treated more and more like a holding place for people that have severe mental health issues and they're not equipped or staffed to really get people on the right medications into the evaluation. Yes. Um, so there's a lot of uh, people trying to figure out the best way to go about that. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, state hospitals, they did a lot of things wrong, but then mm-hmm. when that was completely taken away, it also left a population underserved. That's true. Okay. So I had no idea. All right. So you were doing this and then you were telling me you had an amazing director who kind of saw the, um, your talent and took you under her wing. Yes. Um, (laughs) my director, she's just, I want to say that I have been so positively influenced by strong women at UGA. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but yeah, she said, it was a really small office, the human subjects office, and there's not a lot of room for growth. And so she was, she said, no hurt feelings. Like if you want to grow and progress, which I did, she said, you should start looking into getting into the grants and contract side of things. So basically the funding side of the research. So then that would sort of round out my resume and give me a little more experience. That's amazing that she did that, that, you know, she could have kept you and kind of 
you know, hoarded your skills, but instead she was like, you know, gave you some advice because this is your life. Yeah. And I still speak with her. I just had lunch with her last week. Um, Yeah. She's still a very dear friend to me. Um, But yeah, so I did that. And then I ended up at the, one of the highest funded units at the university, the Owens Institute for Behavioral Research, um, which was just also a fabulous experience. Got more experience with uh, clinical trials with the psychology department and just a a great group of people. Um, Yeah. My director from the human subjects office, she had also, you know, always told me how smart that I was. And then Mm -hmm. she ended up actually um, applying to the master's in public administration program. Ah. He's even older than me. Yeah. (laughs) And she's like, it's not too late. You can do it. Um, but because of my experience in undergrad, I just thought that the graduate school would never take a look at me, you know, cause you said you had like a 2.5 GPA. (laughs) 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 So you were, were you saying like, I'm too old. I don't have a good GPA. Yeah. How am I going to do this? Do I have it in me? Can I even, what can I do on a GRE? It's been so long since I've had that sort of thought process because it is like, if if you (laughs) were taking any of these, it's, um, you have to kind of flip a switch in your brain again to get back into that logical type of math and statistics and all of that. Um, but she insisted that I could do it. So, um, I, I guess I should say like the, the turning point was sort of, um, in 2019, my mom was really sick and she had open heart surgery and I took care of her for a few months. Mm -hmm. And after that ended not very well, (laughs) I just decided, you know what, this, I just need to I had time to do that. I have time to do something for myself. Yeah. Um, so like I got my transcript together and went to the MPA program, handshaking. I bet. <laughs> what can you do with this? Yeah. <laughs> so they told me what I would have to get on the GRE in order to get in. And so once I had that number, that was mm-hmm. it. I like that. You made, you reverse engineered, you had little, you made a plan. Was there a moment though, when you were taking care of your mom or when she was um, after her surgery that you remember like sitting there and kind of making that mental switch to deciding to go back to school or at least see if you could go back? Yeah, it's, she's not a happy person. Yeah. And So I wanted to make sure that I took care of me and my dreams and my growth. And I had seen so many of my friends that go get their master's degrees. And I was envious because I kept thinking in my head, I couldn't, Mm -hmm. I'm like, you know, I can, and, and I want to be happy. I don't want to have some sort of life altering illness and then have all these regrets. Yes. I think it's um, life presents us with these like mirrors and you can look into it and you can see how you could turn out this one way. And that was the way you didn't want to be with the negative attitude or the unhappiness and, or you could do what these people were doing that you kind of envied and like take a risk and go back to school. 
Yeah, <laughs> and it was not easy. I mean, studying for the GRE is one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. I bet. <laughs> you know, you go about 15 years without taking it. Yeah. <laughs> And you're probably just drowning in self-doubt to like every chapter you review, you're like, I can't do this. <laughs> yes. um, you know, just so many hours. And I know my husband and son, they were just, I can't wait for this to be over. <laughs> yeah. My life just revolved around it. But, you know, it was one of those things. Now, when you take the GRE, it's on the computer. And so the second that I took it, I saw the score and I had to beat what I had to have. Yay. And Did you so, jump up and yell in the testing center? Like I walked right <laughs> out and started calling everybody and texting everybody that I knew. Oh, that's so good. But I had done it. Yeah. So all of it, that's to say all of it's worth it and it's possible. Yeah. And you can do it. And, and then that was when I knew that things were going to change. Um, and so you were how old? When you started the program? 36. 36. See? Yeah. You can go back to school and you're, you had a, or you have a son and you have mm -hmm. a husband and you have a job, but you're still doing it. Yes. And luckily my son is 15, so he can take care of himself. Yeah. Was this right before the pandemic that you started class? Yeah. Oh, great. <laughs> So, yeah, you know, that was the other thing was after I went through everything with my mom, I said, 2020 is the year of me. Yes. Gym, I got a trainer. I started the MPA program. I'm like, everything is, I'm going to say no when I want to say no. That's <laughs> awesome. Misty, had you read a book or like what made you, you know, think that this is the year of me? What, what did you, or were you seeing a therapist or anything? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I did. I have a fabulous therapist. Um, and, and he is the one that has pretty much as I make my decisions, I have a lot of self-doubt. Mm -hmm. And so he sort of, uh, you know, backs me up and tells yeah. me why it's okay to feel the way that I feel. And he knows my whole life story and life history. And yeah. It, it, would it have been possible when my son was younger? No. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, this, so. this was the right time mm -hmm. as he's getting independent and not needing as much. Yeah. And you start to feel that pull and it gets to the point where you can't ignore it anymore. I think I've heard so many women talk about that, where they go through this stage where they're a mom, they're a whatever your occupation is, but then they start to feel this tug, you know, towards like, okay, I think I want to do this for me. And for you, it was a lot of things working out, hiring the trainer, seeing a therapist, um, going back to school. Yeah. And so right after I started the, well, about a year into the MPA program, I ended up having a recruiter contact me through LinkedIn from Seattle Children's Hospital, yeah. which was another <laughs> big shift. I had, well, when you told me this, I was like, wait a minute. I thought those were like spam things. I didn't realize recruiters were like, you could get a legit job through LinkedIn when a recruiter reaches out. I mean, I just, I'm not looking for a job, but I delete them. I don't even respond, but you saw this message in your inbox of LinkedIn and did you almost delete it? I did. I was very <laughs> deleting it. And then I started 
Googling about this stuff and if it was just some sort of spam or hoax. And what I was finding out was that if the recruiter was from the actual place doing the yeah. recruiting, like Seattle Children's and not from a staffing agency, that generally that's pretty legitimate. Okay. But we live in Georgia and this was all the way, like you can't get farther away than Seattle. So were you like, (laughs) yeah, that's true. Yeah. So how did you, what, what happened next? So, um, I ended up reaching out and going through the interview process and I did, like you said, it was another one of those things where you feel that tug because there's no, option for very much biomedical research at UGA, but that Mm -hmm. was the first time I ever got interested in research was because of biomedical advances. Yes. So like, it felt like one of those things that I just, I have to see. Yeah. And it was one of those scenarios where everything did come together, the human subjects, research compliance experience, along with the grants and contracts, it all just kind of folded together. Wow. And then I got the job offer. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> and you know, it was scary. I was very comfortable at UGA. I'd been there for about seven years, I guess. Yes. That's when the comfort level is like at its peak and you're like, I could just stay here. I mean, I'm 36. I could just work here and like get vested for retirement. And yeah. And that was all very scary, but um, they made a great offer. And like I said, I was very excited to get on that side. And, you know, sometimes it's hard because in my line of work, you don't necessarily get to see the impact that you're having on people directly, mm-hmm. but it's still such a vital and necessary role to make sure that things happen that ultimately save people's lives. Yeah. So you, was it hard to actually say, yes, I'll take the job? Like, did you have a period of weeks where you went back and forth or how did you make that decision? So, Unfortunately, like it's, it's a high pressure timeline. So yeah. I really only had about two days. Oh my gosh. To really think it through. Yeah. And so I, it was one of those things I sat down with my husband mm-hmm. and we weighed everything and I looked at my retirement because I wasn't fully vested. So I had to see how much am I going to lose the second I walk out the door. Yeah, that's <laughs> it, hard. It, still worth it and we decided that it was and you know my son will graduate in a few years and we could very well move because you can do your job virtually yeah and so we can go anywhere or do anything um so and he already works remotely so it just it gives us a lot of freedom wow and after you made that decision you were sitting down with your husband and you decided I think I'm gonna take it like how did your body feel it was a big relief because yeah. you have a lot, a lot of guilt for leaving the, the people that you've been with because I did, I loved my colleagues. Yeah. Um, but once the decision was made and I talked to everybody that I needed to talk to, mm-hmm. it was just relief and excitement. And then I was ready to get started. Like, yeah, what this new job has for me and what type of things I'm going to be doing. I like this. So, yeah, when you're struggling with a decision, one um, thing I've heard is like, pay attention to pretend like you've already made the decision. Like, let's say you had decided to stay and turn down the job and pay attention to how you feel. Is it like a contracted, tight kind of 
I don't know, stressed feeling or, and, and then imagine if you'd taken the job and like, do you feel, you said relief and excitement and like, so you definitely made the right choice. Yeah. And my husband actually said, you know, if you don't take it, the wondering what would have been yes. will nag you forever. Yes. Go husband. <laughs> <laughs> Very supportive. <laughs> so are you still in school? I am. So I'm actually only doing one class at a time. That's but okay. I'm doing it spring, summer, and fall. So I'll be done in about two years, probably. You also had to start paying for school, right? Because if you're a university employee, you can take classes, right? That's what my husband's doing. Yeah, you can do the TAP program. But yeah, I had to start paying officially this summer, actually. <laughs> See, y'all, it's not all about money, though. So even though you had these two things like you know, on this side of the scale, you had, well, I'm not vested for retirement and I'd have to start paying for school. Your heart knew that this other choice was better for you. Yeah. And it was something that I'm more passionate about, Yeah, um, which is important. Well, good. I love this story. Okay. So you've been there how long at your new job? So just since December, not very long at all. Yeah. But you like it and I love it. The colleagues are great. Um, everybody. And it's so funny because that's obviously a concern when you live on the other side of the country and especially during a pandemic, I can't yeah. even go visit them face to face if I want to. Um, but we have managed to really form a good rapport and relationship mm -hmm. just through meetings. And one thing that they do is they have meetings every single day that are mandatory with the camera on, but they only last about 15 minutes. Yeah. But I feel like it's important and a good way to stay connected and see each other's faces and read each other's emotions and know when somebody needs some help. Um, yeah, that's so good. And so do you feel like you have any advice for yourself back when you were struggling at college and you had the low GPA and you found out you lost the Hope Scholarship and like, what would you tell yourself? <laughs> Don't be afraid to ask for help. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Um, even when my husband and I first started dating, he used to tell me that I was on an island of Misty. Oh, it. I love that. <laughs> but it just, and I just always wanted to try to take care of things by myself uh -huh. and had a lot of anticipatory anxiety. I, I was always in disaster prevention mode because... I'd had a few disasters in my life. Yeah. Um, but don't be afraid to ask for help. It's okay. Everybody has hard times and bad things happen. Um, mm -hmm. It's not a matter of if it will, it's when it will. And you just need to know that people are happy to help. Yeah. And you were the universe or God or whoever surrounded you with women <laughs> who were role models and mentors. And yeah. And that's another thing I would say is, when you find somebody like that, don't let them slip away. Um, I still have great relationships with all three of my last uh, wonderful, strong women supervisors. Mm -hmm. um, and when they say something positive, believe it. <laughs> yes, that's true. Because so often we just say they, it's an imposter syndrome, which I definitely mm -hmm. have struggled with. It's like, they think that I'm smart. They think yeah. that's what I'm doing. 
Yeah. You're like, they don't, if they really knew me, they would know that I'm like faking it. And, and I had a 2.5 undergrad GPA. (laughs) Yeah. But you also have to let go of that limiting belief about your GPA defines how smart you really are or how much you're worth as a person or a woman. Right. And even if I would say, even if you're not set on going back to school, prepare and take the GRE if it's required for a program that you're interested in. Because if you prepare and study and do well, it'll change your mind about what your abilities are. It absolutely for me. Um, It kind of overrode all of those feelings that I had about undergrad and about not being worthy of a graduate program. Yeah. It's like it took an eraser and kind of erased all your self-doubt from undergrad. And it's like, I really am smart. That was just a really rough patch in my life. Yeah. And I really can do it. Yeah, definitely. And the, the ladies that were in your path, um, I was reading a book and it was saying, it was calling that your board of directors. Like if you were a company, that would be your board of directors that you could consult with. And if you're like, well, I don't have a board of board of directors, (laughs) make a list of women that, you know, even if they don't really know you, um, or men, if you're, you know, whatever. And, um, who you would love to have their advice. You'd love to have them as a mentor And sometimes just putting that in writing and kind of throwing it out there, Mm -hmm. like you never know. I mean, you may have more interactions with them than you'd think. And it can turn into a few years later, their bona fide mentor. Yeah, I love that because I completely agree. To this day, I will send random texts or try to get together for a porch glass of wine with some of my girlfriends whenever something difficult is going on. And, um, it's just, you can't put a price on that. It is invaluable. Yeah. And the only other thing I wanted to say was, you know, sometimes we have family members who are negative or they're just not in the same mindset that we are. And my therapist calls that, she said, it's like you're in an auditorium and you've got your front row guest and your front row guests, they cheer for you no matter what. They think you're the bomb. They believe in you. Like they are there in the front row. And she said, then there's the second row people and they, they believe in you, but they're not in the front row. They're the second row. Then there's the people in the back of the auditorium and you don't share everything with them. You know, you may not share your hopes and dreams, but they can see you. They know what you're up to. And then she said, there's people who you didn't even invite into the auditorium and they have no business (laughs) sharing their opinion with you. (laughs) And you do not need to listen to them. And they weren't even invited. So (laughs) yeah. And I I feel that I have a lot of that difficulty with my family where I feel like from afar, I can be judged and that is difficult. Uh Um, And I, and I don't get to share things that you would normally share with family. I don't. Um, But I feel like also it's because they've made choices in life that have made them unhappy. Mm -hmm. And then I feel like they can't help but either try to project their unhappiness on other people or just assume that you're unhappy. That's true. Um, which is hard. It's a difficult thing to deal with, but it was, it's funny. Last night I was watching a show with my husband, um, the flight attendant, (laughs) (laughs) but it had the most fabulous quote in the finale. And it was, 
um, who of us has the space to carry other people's choices? Ah. And that just hit really hard with me because that was how I felt with my family. Uh huh. And you can't do that. And I feel like that's, that is probably going to help me moving mm-hmm. forward when I am stressed or bothered by something that somebody else did. I've got to take a step back. It's not mine. It's not yes. my burden to carry. That's true. Their opinion of you is none of your business, which is really hard to swallow, but <laughs> that's so true. Yeah, I'm trying to teach that to my nine-year-old and it's so hard. They get their feelings hurt so easily. It's a tough concept. Um, but yeah, I do the same thing with my son because when you get stressed or unhappy, I try to say, you're the only person in charge of how you feel. Mm-hmm. You, when you let that person bother you, you're basically letting them win. That is true. So you've got to stay positive. Pretend like that opinion doesn't exist. It shouldn't affect you. Mm-hmm. You know better. You know different. Mm, preach it. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Oh, I love this. Thank you, Misty. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we'll have to have you back in a year or so and see what you're up to then. Absolutely. You may be living like in another part of the world. Oh, it'll be a couple of years before that happens. We got to get (laughs) (laughs) known. All right. Well, is, um, I don't know if you want people finding you on Instagram, you can include your Instagram or we can not include it. I actually am so old feeling sometimes. I don't even have Instagram. (laughs) I do have a Twitter though. (laughs) That's funny. What's your Twitter account? It's just at Misty Scheuer, M-Y-S-T-I-S-C-H-E-U-E-R. Okay. I'll include that. Um, Thank you for coming on today and sharing your story. I know it's hard to kind of unearth some of this. I really appreciate you having me, Hope. Yeah. Thank you. That was so good, y'all. Okay. Here are the take-home points. Number one, your own trauma or life experience often contributes to what you're passionate about. Misty's interest in medical research after her dad's cancer is an example. Number two, even a so-so job like being a probation officer can give you insights into human nature and teach you skills you'll use in other jobs. Number three, be curious instead of judgmental. Misty learned to ask people on probation, what was your thought process? She says you'll learn more and have more compassion for people who make mistakes. Number four, our, sh- our work stress doesn't affect just us. Take an honest look at how your stress is affecting your home and your relationships. Number five, an amazing boss will see when you've hit a growth ceiling in your current position and encourage you to move on if that's what's best for you. Number six, our self-limiting beliefs can crush us if we let them, like Misty's thoughts about graduate school. But she says you should take a tiny step, ask questions, and get factual information, like when she went to the graduate school she wanted to attend. Once she found out the GRE score she needed, she was empowered and then could make a plan. Number seven, choose happiness. Misty observed her mom's attitude and decided that wasn't the path she wanted to take. She wanted to make the most of her life and push herself to be the best version she could. Number eight, declare that this is the year of me. 
and show up for yourself, whether that's hiring a personal trainer, taking a class, or seeing a therapist. Number nine, pay attention to those tugs in your life. Misty was fascinated and drawn to biomedical research from the time her dad was sick. When the recruiter approached her, it clicked. Her personal passion aligned with her professional skills. Number 10, let go of guilt when you feel excited about a new endeavor. Number 11, when comparing a job you're passionate about versus staying at a job because of benefits, ask yourself how you'll feel after making the decision each way and compare each option. Also, ask yourself if you would always wonder and have regrets if you chose to stay at the job with benefits. Number 12, don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be an island of Misty or an island of whatever your name is. Everyone has hard times. People are happy to help. Number 13, keep your eyes open for strong women mentors. When they say something positive, believe them. Number 14, Misty loves the quote, who of us has the space to carry other people's choices? Remember, you're the only person in charge of you and only you can control forest fires. Just kidding. Only you can control your thoughts and choices. Thanks again, Misty. That was amazing. Thanks for joining me on today's podcast. If you like this podcast and think someone else could benefit, please share it. I'd also love for you to write a review on your favorite podcast platform like Spotify or Apple. And lastly, if you would like more of the same, come over to my website, hopethepa.com. Thank y'all for listening.